But today we are looking ahead at uh, this coming year. And speaking of looking ahead, uh, we're going to begin a new series next Sunday on the book of Hebrews, and that series will be entitled Better Promises. And uh, this series is something I've been excited about for a little while. I've been reading through the book of Hebrews, um, maybe two or three times this last year. Um, And each time I've been just surprised again by the gospel and its richness and how the book of Hebrews presents the better covenant, the new covenant. And uh, so I'm excited about this book. I think it's going to be really good. And uh, 21 weeks. It'll be a lengthy series, but we'll break it up a little bit um, with some topical sermons in between. So we're looking forward to that. But today we're talking about what's ahead. A new year always brings a sense of anticipation um, of what it will hold. It kind of feels like the page turning a bit in a good book. And as you leave behind the old chapter and head into this new chapter, um, we as believers, as we're reading this book, we can be assured that uh, the author of this book, Jesus Christ, will finish what he began. And uh, not to skip too far ahead into the book, spoiler alert, uh, Jesus wins. Um, so that, that's good news. A lot of New Year's messages, talks, talk, uh, messages talk about hopes and expectations. And uh, new projects, that kind of things, projections. Um, but that's not what I'm going to be talking about today. Not of any of that is bad. It's good to look forward um, about those things, you know, talk about what is expected, how many churches we're going to plant, those kind of things. That's all exciting and good. I'm also not giving any New Year's resolution advice, um, except maybe here's a free one. Maybe don't do it. Uh, studies show upwards of 80% of our New Year's resolutions fail by February. So, uh, I don't know. If you make it to my birthday, which is at the end of February, I'll take you out for coffee and donuts. <laughs> Unless your resolution was no sugar and no caffeine. What I want to do this morning is point you to some gospel realities and remind you of the rest that you have in Christ, and from there show you some ways in which I believe uh, the gospel shows us that Jesus will build his church, he'll build us, and uh, we can build our lives upon the promises of Jesus uh, rather than our own resolutions, rather than our own ability to see these things through. We're going to look to his faithfulness, not ours. Jesus will do what he said he will do. And as we head into this new year, whether we're excited or maybe a little bit nervous, let's ground ourselves in his promises. As we look ahead, let's remember our mission as a church. Our mission here at Grace Life is to preach the gospel and make disciples. And this mission is given to us by Jesus um, in Matthew chapter 28. Um, And there's not a lot of room to be clever with it. There's only so many ways you can say that. But we want to do this. This is what we're here for at Grace Life. Simply preach the gospel and make disciples. And uh, by doing this, we believe that Avon, Livingston County, the surrounding villages and towns, New York, the United States, and ultimately the nations will be saturated with the glory of God. A disciple is a learner or a follower, a Christian or a believer in Christ, someone who has been born again is a disciple. So a disciple is a Christian, and a Christian is a disciple. 
someone who is in Christ and by faith learning to know Jesus in his life, his death, and as Paul says, the power of his resurrection, being made like him. This begins with abiding in Christ. From that union with Christ, the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. And others will see that fruit. And they will hear the good news proclaimed. Some will believe. And disciples will be made throughout the villages, towns, cities, states, and nations. So today we're going to look at abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new year. We thank you for the year we had that we've now... uh, Turn the page from. We thank you for your many blessings in 2022. There were also trials, struggles, failures, as well as victories, as well as um, many blessings that you have given us. And even in the trials and in the struggles, you were there through it all, using those things in our lives for your glory and our good. Help us to see that. Help us to see your hand in all of these things, that we would give you glory uh, despite the, the victories or the failures. Let, them, let us see them as all being from your hand. Father, I ask that as we look towards this new year, as we look to what is ahead of us, that we would have eyes of faith to see um, your work in all of our lives in the many situations we deal with at work, at home, school, whatever whatever we're dealing with, that we would see your hand. We'd look to you. We would trust you, Father. Let us hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Abiding in Christ. A couple of weeks ago in our Advent series, that green is brighter than I intended. Sorry, got distracted. A couple of weeks ago in our Advent series, I read a portion of John 15, beginning in verse 9, and I spoke about, uh, very briefly, about what it is to abide in Christ and living in love. Um, I've been thinking about this chapter a good bit. I've been kind of chewing on it in the weeks since. And I thought this would be a good place to consider and frame how we should think about what lies ahead of us this year. And so today we're going to go back a few verses. We're going to go back to John 15, verse 1, and begin there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 15, and we're going to read 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen, or you can grab a Bible in the back. John 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. 
So a couple weeks ago, as I said, we read, I think, verses 9 through 11, maybe a little bit further. Uh, but today, really, when what I want to draw your attention to is uh, the, this idea, this concept of abiding. You know, as we look ahead, this is where we begin. This is the anchoring point, if you will, or the grounding point. I'm not an electrician, uh, but I understand that electricity should be grounded. That's why all of our plugs uh, have a ground on them. It's a good thing. I do know from work in audio equipment and whatnot, when there is not a ground, you get a wonderful buzz going through the entire building. Um, and not the kind of buzz uh, that makes you feel good. I should probably edit that out. Um, <laughs> we'll move forward. But you need to be grounded. Also, from experience, if there is no ground in your electrical equipment, you can walk up to a microphone and give yourself quite a start. Grounding is one of the ways that I believe we grow in Christ. Having a place that we um, anchor our faith in is, is primary. It's essential to the faith. But Jesus is the one who builds his church. And I believe in John 15, what Jesus is talking about here is showing us several ways in which Jesus will build his church. And as a reminder, he does the building. Not me. Not you. He does it. So as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the idea of here of abiding is often misunderstood. Jesus is sharing with his disciples the night before his crucifixion some final instructions. He is telling them that they are to rest in him as savior and sustainer and the one who will produce good works or fruit in them. And in the previous chapter and the following chapter, so chapter 14, chapter 16, excuse me, he tells them of the Holy Spirit who is coming to make his dwelling within them. As I said, this passage is often misunderstood to mean that somehow one could be saved and not abide. That would be like saying that one could be simultaneously in Christ and not in Christ. And that's just not the case. To abide is to live in. It's to remain in. Abide literally means to rest, to reside, to dwell, or to live within. It's the language of making home with someone. When one is born again, they are described as being in Christ. That is the most common phrase for the believer in the New Testament, in Christ. Abiding, therefore, is the position of all true believers. The difference between those abiding and those not abiding is the difference between the saved and the unsaved. The command to abide, then, is not a command of action, go and do this. It's a command of faith. Believe this, trust in Christ, and not in your own righteousness. Again, the language of abiding is that of making your home. This is the language that Jesus uses in chapter 14, one chapter back. And I'm just going to kind of fly through chapter 14. Uh, we're only going to look at one verse in that chapter in a moment. But um, just some things you can jot down if you're writing notes, uh, if you want to look back later. Or maybe just go and read the chapter later. But Jesus uses this language of dwelling, of making a home, a lot in chapter 14. In the first three verses, he talks about leaving to prepare a place for his followers, a dwelling for his followers. 
It's the same language he uses of speaking of his relationship to the Father in 14 verse 10. It's the same language Jesus uses to speak of how he, through the Holy Spirit, will dwell in the hearts of believers. In 14 verse 17, verse 20, and in verse 23. We're going to read verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. So God, the God of this universe, holy and unimaginable in all his splendor, has made his home with you. What chapter 14 shows us is that he does this through the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And this really means that everything that the Father has is available to you through the Holy Spirit. He makes his home accessible to you so that you may have his abundant life and all the resources of heaven available to you. If I invite you over to my house and I say, make yourself at home. There's probably some limitations there, but um, if if I I say make yourself at home, what I'm expecting is that you're going to sit down on the couch, kick your feet, you know, put your feet on the table or something. I don't know. Actually, don't sit on my couch right now. The legs broke on the couch, so it's on floor level at the moment until I fix that. But um, I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to make yourself at home. I want you to feel like family. Well... Imagine that expanded infinitely more when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside your house, your heart. He is making a home with you, and he is giving you everything that he has available to you. So, live in that. Consider the implications of that. The God of the universe, his very presence is dwelling within you. You, the believer, are in him. And he in you. Through what Christ has done at the cross, he has declared you clean, your sins forgiven, and now his spirit is living inside of you. So with that understanding of abiding, this language of homemaking, let's work through some of this passage a bit. Jesus is the true vine. Israel in the Old Testament was called the vine. Jesus came and fulfilled this and called himself the true vine. This is the last of the I am statements of Jesus, connecting himself to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. He is declaring his deity and that he is the fulfillment of all the promises of the old covenant. And there's a sense in this, too, that I I kind of thought of uh, over the weekend as you consider, we'll get to it in a moment, these withered branches. Israel, in some sense, in rejecting Christ, is an old branch, a withered branch, ready to be discarded. Not totally, as you would see in Romans, but um, in some sense, they, they are the withered branch. That's just one facet of it, though. In verses 2 and 6, we do see that some branches are thrown away, and verse 6 says that they're burnt up. This is not indicating that there are true Christians who can lose their salvation. This is not what's in sight in this metaphor. Um, If you look at the rest of the book of John, especially John 17, you'll see that that's not what it's talking about. These withered branches are those who perhaps have feigned attachment to the vine, but were not in Christ. These are likely those who have covered themselves with the fig leaves of religion, the fig leaves of self-effort. 
those who look to their own strength to make it right with God. Consider the rich young ruler that we looked at recently. Why did Jesus tell the rich young ruler he could be... Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. The, the other idea that I had with this, perhaps just a portion of this, is that um, perhaps there are those who come in as wolves in sheep's clothing. Those, like we saw in First John, who pretended to be a part of the flock to cause disruption to cause harm to believers and then left after dividing the church. These are people, whether it was through their own religious self-works or those who have caused harm, who have been part of the visible expression of the church, meaning they were attending services, they were doing things that uh, we would say identify them as believers and then departed I want to consider two passages when thinking about these withered branches. Matthew seven, twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And in First John... Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, they, now if you remember, as I just mentioned, the they here is people who came in, um, likely wolves, um, and feigned attachment and caused disruption and now are opposed to Christ and are causing a lot of conflict. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So the difference between those abiding in Christ and those not abiding in Christ, the withered branches not producing fruit, is the difference again between the saved and the unsaved. The withered branches are thrown away. The true branches are pruned, meaning that God is at work in our lives in a loving way to make us more fruitful. Those who are his, he is going to work in their lives. He trims and he cuts for his purposes. In verse 3, we see that Jesus says to his disciples that they are already clean. This is because of faith in Christ. And we see in the early days of the church, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit come. And these early believers are regenerated. All of these things are gospel realities. This is what is truer of the believer. Though we may often feel unworthy, we may feel unclean, And we struggle with guilt and shame, feeling like the Holy Spirit could never use me, could never uh, reside with me. He says to the believer, you are clean. Because what is taking place through the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ, is truer of you than even your own actions in regard to victory and perfection and that kind of thing. The believer abides in Christ. This command of faith shows us we are to live every day trusting in the promises of Christ. Trusting in his sufficiency and not our own. Looking to his righteousness, not ours. He has clothed us in Christ's righteousness. We have been chosen in Christ, adopted in Christ, and we've been cleansed. 
And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The whole of the Christian life is lived in Christ. It is life lived in his love and experiencing his joy. Though there are times when we perhaps have a different experience of struggle and difficulty. His joy is still there for us to experience. And joy doesn't mean happiness. Sometimes we switch the meaning there a little bit and think of joy as in perfect happiness all the time. You know, we, the scriptures tell us we can rejoice in suffering. Getting a little bit ahead. This all speaks of our union with Christ. It's another way of speaking of abiding or dwelling in him. Paul writes about our union with Christ in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. A lengthy passage of scripture, but I want you to pay attention how many times Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, or um, something like that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, if I counted correctly... The phrase in Christ or in him is used nine times. And there's also a couple of instances of the phrases uh, in love and before him and through him. Paul is showing the reader that the believer is united with Christ in his death, his resurrection, and is given all these spiritual blessings. This is not a result of activity or a... um, work on the, the, the part of the believer, but rather these are gifts of grace received through faith. All of this is to say that as we look ahead, as we prepare for this new year, we don't want to get things out of alignment. We need to begin with being. Now, I called this a command of faith earlier. What I mean by that is that this instruction given to us by Jesus is primarily a call to rest in him, and that's the primary way that we obey. Not the only way, as we'll see in a moment, but it's the primary way. To find him sufficient for all things, to rest in his love and to be filled with his joy. Now, you might be thinking, we've heard this before. And yes, you're right, you have, and you will. You will continue to hear this. As one of the elders, my aim is to remind you of what you have in Christ. And to remind you of that often. As we walk into this new year, I believe it's important that you remember that you are in Christ. This is the starting place. This is the foundation of your life, is to rest in Christ. 
Now, the believer can never lose their salvation. The believer cannot be taken out of their position in Christ. But the enemy's tactics to discourage and distract you from these realities can have an effect on your life. They can be a hindrance to this joy that Paul talks about and John talks about. It can cause us a lack of assurance. And it can really take away from the rest that we can experience in Christ. This happens when we trust in anything outside of the gospel. Jesus reminded his friend Martha of this. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was busy serving the Lord. Even good things can be a distraction. Even things that we're trying to do, trying to accomplish, can be a distraction. So in the busyness of your week, in the busyness of your life, anchor yourself in Christ. In the rest that he has given. He makes his home with you. Giving you all that you need. So I want to encourage you this morning. As we look into this new year. Be with him. Spend time in his presence. Be with Christ. Savor his presence. I'm not talking about. You know, set your clock for 15 minutes in the morning. This is my Jesus time and only for this 15 minutes. I'm going to sit here for 15 minutes and think about everything else in my life. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend 15 minutes praying and that will be me being with the Lord. Now, praying is absolutely, I think, a part of this. But maybe set some time aside just to be with him. Still the voice. Still your voice. And listen, maybe begin just by saying, Lord, would you speak to me? Let me just enjoy your presence. Listen to him speak to you. You know, as a father, I love it when my girls will just be with me. Now, it's a little bit easier for Fern. It's harder for her to get away from me, although that's becoming a challenge. She's mobile. She can get away from me if she wants. But, man, I love it when Olive just wants to be with me. She's still at this age where she'll hold my hand. And I love every second of that. It makes my heart delight. It's a good thing. How much more does your heavenly father delight in you? He loves you. He wants to be with you. He's chosen you to make his home with. Spend time with him. One of the gospel promises we have in our passage today is that from this place of rest, this place of abiding, making our home, fruit will be born. Another way to say that is that from a position of rest, we work the good works 
that he has for us. We rest and then we go. We are prone to flipping this around, working to get to some rest. But what Jesus is showing us, I think, in, first, in, in John 15, is that we abide first. We rest first. And from there, the fruit and the work will come. There's no other way. So let's look at bearing fruit. Verses 4 through 6. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus is saying that if we abide in him, he will produce fruit in us. Abiding in that context has to be seen in light of everything that Christ has said, that we trust him to be sufficient, not only as our Savior, but our sustainer, as our strength. And he is the one who will produce the fruit in us. And by producing or bearing fruit in us, Jesus, again, is building his church. That's one of the ways that Jesus builds his church, is by producing fruit in us. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I don't think uh, that these are conditional statements. But these are promises. They are not if-then conditions, as our English translations kind of clumsily convey. Rather, they are the promises of what Christ works in the life of the one who abides in him. It is a reality, then of those who are in Christ, those who abide in Christ, that fruit will be born. What fruit will be born? Well, the fruit that is in sight here is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's what he produces. Galatians five twenty two through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's also fruit seen elsewhere in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we find that the believers at Thessalonica are greeted by Paul, and he speaks about the gospel's work in their lives. Verses 4 through 8, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's not Ikea, like the store. And I'm probably not even pronouncing that right. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Paul shows how their faith in God has gone out, outward. They received the gospel with glad hearts and shared that with others. We don't know exactly what that looked like in the context of the Thessalonian culture. But there was something conspicuous about their love because news spread around the region. They were known for their faith and their love and the news of that spread to those in the area. Because we can trust the scriptures, I'm sure it looked a lot like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I'm sure that as they went about their lives and work, play, raising their families, serving one another, enjoying being around each other and and making um, their communities better, the fragrance of Christ came to those they came in contact with. 
And so this is an example of another way fruit is produced. We walk in obedience and in good works, and we spread the aroma of Christ to those we're around. We share the love of Christ with those who have yet to believe. In John fifteen five, Jesus tells us, For apart from me you can do nothing. The fruit we bear is a result of Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit. And in other words, this isn't something you do naturally. You can't make this fruit happen. I uh, remember Derek famously uh, doing an analogy of what this might have looked like. He taped a banana or something to his chest and, you know, like tried to make more bananas come and nothing happened. We can't naturally make this fruit come. This is a su- supernatural work in our lives. It's through the Holy Spirit. So apart from Jesus, we can do nothing and we can bear no fruit. We get life through the vine. He is producing himself in us. This doesn't mean that we'll always be abounding in fruit either. There are seasons to the growth of fruit. There are times when the outer appearance looks empty. Look at the trees right now in the winter months. Do they look like they're bearing much fruit? No, but there's life in the vine. And again, I don't know anything about trees either. So, Keith, maybe you can help me with that one. I don't know much about plants. I don't know much about farming. I don't know much about electricity. What, are we, what else have we learned today that I don't know much about? There are times when the unbeliever as well is undergoing the loving pruning of the Holy Spirit. As seen in verse 2. Pruning is the work of cutting back plant growth for the purpose of producing more fruit. It's necessary. We need to remember that It's a work of his love in us that he's doing this. Sometimes we think of things like pruning and discipline as uh, being punitive, as being his anger towards us. It's not. It's an act of his love to make us more fruitful, to bring growth to our lives. And he only does this in those who are abiding in him. Pruning looks differently for each believer. So don't look at your neighbor and go, why aren't you experiencing exactly what I'm experiencing right now? God uses all sorts of things in our lives to do this work. Sometimes it's through trials and sufferings. Sometimes it's through good things. But it's all for his glory and our good. God uses these things to shape us. James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, fruit. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 5, 3 through 5, I've mentioned this in passing already. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us fruit. So throughout the life of the believer, the disciple, as we rest in Christ, the Spirit will produce in us fruit. His fruit. And we will experience this pruning process, being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. Shaped by what we experience, shaped by the word of God, Shaped by our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we live in community together, we taste deeper of the fellowship that we have in Christ through these trials and sufferings. 
And all of this is part of learning to know Christ. As Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Christ is the treasure that surpasses all other treasures. Christmas just wrapped up, and as we unwrapped all of the Christmas gifts, maybe you had to explain to your kids a little bit that these are not just, you know, the unimaginable treasures of life. Like, there's more to it than just these items. There's more to it than just these trinkets that in four minutes will be destroyed. There's more than just that. And it's nice to enjoy those things. You can let your kids enjoy those things. But Christ is the ultimate treasure. He surpasses all other treasures. Rest in him knowing that everything he does to work in you and through you is for your good. To know him more. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God produces himself in the life of the believer. It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Caleb or Mike or Randy or John. It's the fruit of the spirit. He's producing his desires in you and I. I think if I ask any of you this question, you who are believers... If I were to ask you, do you want to do the things of God or do you want to do the things of the flesh? I would say 100% of you would say, well, of course I don't want to do the things of the flesh. I don't desire to do that. I desire to do the things of God. I desire to love God with my whole heart. You know, That's not natural to you. That is a gift of the Spirit in you, that you even have that desire. Life moves from the vine to you, the branches. And so, whatever you desire is coming from him. Now, notice here Jesus does say, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. It should be clear to us that this is in keeping with his will. It's not that we just frivolously ask for anything like a billion dollars or a Ferrari. I mean, you can try, but it's probably not going to happen. But as the believer is being shaped by the Spirit, and the Spirit is producing fruit in the believer, producing more of Christ in the believer including these godly desires, you can ask what you desire. And he will do it. And and sometimes we ask and he does say no. Sometimes he seems to not really answer. And that's because he's working. As we continue to get to know him more. Again, understand these words this way. As you abide in Christ, his words abide in you. Therefore, ask. And so my encouragement to you, I think we mentioned this earlier in the year when I talked about prayer. I just encourage you to ask. Like you're talking to your father. I can remember, I don't know how many times I asked my dad for stuff. It's kind of the life of a child, right? But we are encouraged to be like children. And so ask. Spend time with him. I want to direct a question to you here based on the text. In 2023... What are some ways we can glorify God 
in our asking. You don't have to shout out an answer unless you really want to. And I will expand on this a little bit in an application point. But I I think as we see in these verses, uh, we can ask that we would continue to love one another. You know, Jesus said to abide in his love. Elsewhere, he commands us to love one another. So I think we can ask that we would continue to love one another, that we would increase in our love for one another. Second, we can ask that we as disciples would make other disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that as we live on mission, we'd proclaim the forgiveness of sins to unbelievers, and they would come to receive Christ. Tying this to the first prayer that I mentioned, um, we can pray that people would see the love that we have for one another. That our neighbors who don't know Christ would see this love and be drawn to God. The fruit of the Spirit glorifies God and reveals that you are His. And so pray that people would see this. Pray that it would be visible. And I believe God would answer these prayers. Verses 9 through 11 here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Another encouragement to abide. He is telling us to rest in his love for us. The same love that Jesus receives from the Father, he gives to you. And so dwell in that. Live in that. And this love will produce obedience. His love is not a result of our obedience. Our obedience is a result of his love for us. As First John says, he loved us first. It's the same love he shares with God the Father. And obedience is the fruit of this union with Christ. It's what he produces in us. This is because Jesus' love has been poured out by the Spirit into our hearts. And therefore, his commandment is not a burden. It's a joy to walk in. We're not driven to obey Christ to earn something from him, to get in good with God. We're driven to obey by a heart that is filled with gratitude for the way he has chosen us, saved us, poured his love out into our hearts. And so obedience is a good thing. We can love one another. All of this was spoken to the disciples by Jesus, and it's for us today as believers who are in Christ to increase our joy. So some application. How does this impact us as we look ahead to 2023? First, strive to rest. Hebrews 4.11, here's a sneak peek, tells us to strive to enter into this rest. So the believer has this rest. We've been given this rest. We are dwelling in Christ, but we're also striving to rest. There's a tension between the already and the not yet. The battle of faith is the battle to remain resting from self-efforts because even as believers, those who are in Christ, we still tend to default to those things of trusting in my own effort. My exhortation here is this. Rest in Christ. Rest in his love. Be with Jesus. Don't put the cart before the horse. Our being produces our doing. Spend time just enjoying his presence. Ask him to fill your heart. As Paul prayed uh, for the Ephesians, that you may have supernatural strength from the Holy Spirit to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rest in that love. Rest in his finished work, knowing that there's nothing that you need to do to add to it. Second, let the gospel have its due course. 
Last year, we spent a good deal focusing on how gospel proclamation produces gospel culture or gospel community in the body. This shaping work of the gospel also sends us out on mission to make other disciples, to bring them into this loving band of brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel preached will equip you as the body of Christ for ministry. That is the work of preaching, to equip you for ministry. You have everything that you need to share Christ with others. It's not about the perfection of our words. It's not about our eloquence. And I mean, you guys listen to me a lot and you know I'm not eloquent. It's the Spirit's work and he sends each one of you out to share Christ with those you come in contact with. So go and tell. Now it's nice to invite unbelievers to grace life. They get to experience a worship gathering. They get to see the love we have for one another as the body gathers together for worship, encouragement, and the ordinary means of grace. But we're also sent out to reach those who have not yet believed in Christ. Of course, it's the Spirit's work to bring about salvation to the lost. But he uses us as heralds of this good news. Lastly, I want to finish by just encouraging you to pray. Really, these three things are not disconnected. They're all intertwined. We abide or rest in Christ, and from that, obedience or fruitfulness happens. And prayer is an act of dependency on the vine. In your dependence, come boldly before the throne of grace. You are clean. You are his child. And so ask. Ask the desires of your heart. Pray that the Spirit's work would increase among his people here at Grace Life. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Um, Perhaps it's helpful. Another plug for the uh, church directory. Um, First of all, get connected to the church directory. And then look at the names, the pictures, the faces, and pray for each other. Use it as a ministry tool to see the faces of Grace Life and pray for these brothers and sisters. Pray Even if you aren't sure of the words, you can just pray through the scriptures. Pray the words of Paul to the Colossian church, Colossians 1 verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And pray for people to come to saving faith. Pray for the kingdom to expand here in Avon, Livingston County, New York, whatever state you're in, Ohio. Pray for the kingdom to abound around the nation, around the world, that people would see the light of Christ and be drawn. And so on that note, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you indeed are with us. That you are speaking to us. Father, I pray that as we enter this new year, we wouldn't be attempting to put the cart before the horse. That we would be 
at rest with you. That we would spend time just being in your presence and and savoring the realities of the gospel that we already have. That the gospel is a finished work. It's a, a done work. There's nothing left for me to do to earn your presence, to earn your love. You are with me. You are in me through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, help us to just be. Father, I ask that we would bear fruit in keeping with your word, that we would bear fruit that would be pleasing to you, loved, joy and peace, gentleness, self-control, that people would see the love that we have for one another and that they would experience it, that they would that they would see your son. Father, we pray for Avon and Livingston County, all the villages and towns that we represent here. We pray for the state of New York. We pray for the United States. Lord, we pray for the nations of the world, Father, that your kingdom would expand, that your glory would touch many people this year, that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Send us out, Lord, as your missionaries, wherever we are, our next-door neighbors, people who we run into on a daily basis, our co-workers, people who are cut our hair, the, the grocery workers. Father, that they would taste and see the goodness of your son, Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Father, that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Strengthen them with your power, according to your glorious might, that they would increase in the knowledge of you, Father. Fill them with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.